Bruce Friedman of Adult Side Broker. And welcome to Adult Side Broker Talk, where each week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry. And we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week we'll be speaking with author Bobby Badochka. Adult Site Broker Talk is brought to you by Webmaster Access, September 12th through the 15th. The show will be in beautiful Cyprus at the stunning Grand Resort on the beach. Go to the events page on our website at adultsitebroker.com for a 25% discount for Adult Site Broker Talk listeners. To register, go to webmasteraccess.com. At Adult Site Broker, we're proud to announce our latest project thewaronporn.com. You'll find articles from industry websites as well as mainstream publications from around the world. It's designed to raise awareness of our industry's plight in the war on porn and the numerous attacks on our industry and online free speech by hate groups, the religious right, and politicians. You'll find all that and more at thewaronporn.com. You've probably noticed our new podcast site at adultsitebroker.com. It has a more modern look with easier navigation and more information on our guests, including their social media links. For more, go to adultsitebrokertalk.com. And we've doubled our affiliate payouts on ASB Cash. Now, when you refer sellers or buyers to us, you're going to receive 20% of our broker commission on any and all sales that result from that referral for life. Check out ASBCash.com for more details and to sign up. Now let's feature our property of the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We're proud to offer for sale a network of hot wife and cuckold sites, products, and services. The sites include a community site with free resources including assessments, articles, free ebooks, plus stories, and paid products and services including ebooks and consulting about wife sharing, hot wifing, cuckolding, and swinging lifestyles. A site for those in the wife-sharing community to submit confessions about their adventures in the lifestyle. Users can comment on confessions and vote to forgive them or label them as sinners. And a site with a collection of popular cuckolding and hot-wifing posts from the web. The main site was started as a place that offered people legitimate information they could use to help them make their wife-sharing fantasy a reality. Over time, it gathered a very large following and became the place for people to go to learn more about themselves, their wife-sharing fantasies, and how to make them happen. The site automatically funnels people from free resources to the paid products and services. Anyone who completes a free assessment on the site or downloads a free ebook is entered into a relevant email campaign to sell them on paid products and services. There are over 1,200 user-submitted stories, 48 articles, 72 interviews with real-life cuckold and hot-wife couples, three assessment products, two free, and seven paid ebooks. Only $149,000. Now time for this week's interview. My guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk is Bobby Bidochka. The friendly feminist, Bobby is a sex-positive advocate who authored the book Sexual Intelligence in Business, is co-chair of the academic conference Love and Sex with Robots, 
Venture Associate for a Tech and VC Incubator and founder of Imagine Ideation, specializing in connected experiences and ecosystem diplomacy. Bobby, thanks for being with us today on Adult Side Broker Talk. Thanks, Bruce. Pleasure. Let me tell people a lot more about her. Bobby's a tech enthusiast with a vision to help grow the sex tech community worldwide and is currently developing a training program to help reduce sexual harassment in the workplace and business without compromising the opportunities for love and relationships, hopefully not between people in the workplace. Uh, She hopes to affect change towards a sex-friendly world, one opinion at a time. So, Bobby, what was your first connection with the adult industry? I think I could categorize that as my first time I stumbled onto my dad's porn magazines. (laughs) I just remember in, in my laundry room, there was this box up on the shelf and I was nosy as hell. This kid, I ransacked the house. How old were you? Oh, five, six years old. <laughs> yes. Really, really young. And um, yeah, I, I pulled down the box. Here's these magazines. And I remember grabbing a few and showing my brother, took them over to the neighbors. I'm sure and your brother really appreciated that, by the way. You know what? They, I, I found that everybody, so I, I lived next door to, um, they had four kids over there and me and my brother um, on this side, and then a couple of other neighbor kids, mostly boys, they really weren't all that interested. Um, as I was, and I just remember flipping through the pages and wow, like these women are so beautiful and they looked like they were enjoying themselves. And yeah, I thought I, I wasn't appalled. I thought it was like a very, very nice uh, thing. And I seemed to be the only one that was actually kind of interested in it. That's amazing. So, Bobby, what was your take on where the industry is today and where do you think it's going? I think we are at the best spot we've ever been as far as, you know, Me Too, you know, that had quite quite an effect on the industry, of course. Yeah. Um, Ron Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the new wave of, you could say, domestic porn of people just making videos of themselves and posting them and Pornhub and all of that, that side of the industry went kind of for a loop, right? And so it sort of democratized it, um, if you could say it like that. Um, a lot of sex tech itself is developed as an industry. But of course, with with all that, like much social change, um, you know, there is pushback. There's still sort of a right-wing you know, hardcore patriarchy, you know, a real dig in there. You can see how that's manifested in abortion rights in the U.S. and stuff like that. You know, it's just I think the the train has left the station in a way. I really think that we're in a new sexual revolution where the female empowerment is coming, female pleasure. You know, there's a lot of femtech and sex tech products that are targeted towards women. Women have purchasing power now, and they are mostly women run, as a matter of fact. And so the the amount of leadership in the industry is also changing. So I think this is all very good. It's still a sort of a relatively Western thing um, as far as 
what, you know, what's out in the open. Of course, you know, you see how well I'm Beshram's doing and, you know, so India's up and coming there. All the time. East Asia has always been, you know, very kinky group of folks, but not very like underground, right? So, you know, everyone's sort of going to have their time, but I think it's, it's never been better. When you talk about female empowerment, I remember the whole women's lib movement when I was a child. It's really come a long way. I mean, if you go from women's lib to now with Me Too, that's a big jump. Yeah, it's it. When you get sort of more women into leadership positions, you've now got you know, there's more laws in place when it comes to violence, you know, sexual assault, now sexual harassment, all of these things, it still does happen, but it's going to be hard to, you can't unring that bell, right? So if you think about sort of the every 500 to 1,000 years when sort of we have these moments in time during sort of enlightenment period where, you know, there's some sex going on and then they sort of pull back and they get a bit restricted and um, you know, Protestant work ethic, and then that gets pulled back. And so, you know, each time is sort of like two steps forward, one step back, but still everyone's making ground. They're, we're moving in the right directions. And then, you know, with the LGBTQ2 plus community, you know, this is the conversation is always on the table. I mean, change doesn't happen overnight. I mean, as you can see, it took decades and it will continue to take time, but it feels like you know, we've got some momentum going on here. Unstoppable momentum. Yeah, but the only problem is with the right-wing politicians and the religious right, the entire abortion thing seems like it's being set back 60 years. Yeah, it was definitely a setback. But it's because it's one of the last things that they actually have still a bit of control over legalizing. Mm, it's, true. It's, it's It's been, that. that's what I mean by, you know, you can't really beat women up like you used to be able to do to shut them up you can't really of course it still happens and it happens all over the world but very slowly we're sort of we're we're getting out of that and so and the, the focus on pleasure too like if you even look back to to science people used to just study the things that went wrong and and then in around the 60s and 70s there's this movement called positive psychology oh wait a minute we can also study happiness and pleasure and what are the good things that can come out? It's not always about diseases and teenage pregnancy and death. Oh, now we can, you know, actually think about studying the positive sides of things. And then that started people, you know, going down the road of we can actually study pleasure and women's pleasure specifically. Exactly. So let's talk about your book, Sexual Intelligence in Business. Why don't you tell us about the book and why you wrote it? Well, I wrote it, it was kind of my reaction to the Me Too movement, um, which if it's not obvious by now, I'm supportive of the movement, but it did cause some sort of weirdness in the professional business environment. It felt like all of a sudden people just didn't know what to do and say. And I had a lot of individual conversations with, with people and, and, you know, men and women, but mostly men because Mostly men were in leadership positions and, you know, me, I'm trying to build something and I'm trying to sort of climb the ladder as it were. And, you know, a lot of my male mentors and friends were like, well, Bobby, I don't know what to say or do anymore. I, 
I'm confused. And so I'm just going to shut up. And women too, it's like, we kind of, I can't even, you know, compliment you or, or it's, it's weird to have a meeting with the door open. And it's like, now I don't know if I should go for coffee with you or you're not recognizing that I, I maybe don't want to go for dinner with you. It's just people like, ah, I don't know what to do. I felt like, okay, somebody's got to say something about this, but I think everybody was afraid. Like if, if you say things like this, then that sounds anti me too. And nobody wanted to do that either. So since so a very frozen weirdness going on. So I decided to, to write a book about it. And in, in doing so and doing a lot more research, just realizing that companies were just kind of writing policy and then hoping for the best. Having their attorneys writing policy and hoping for the best. Yeah. It's like you can't write out policy when it comes to like human sexuality and emotions. Like that just doesn't work. Right. So people over 50% of people meet their spouse or their partner or their someone at work or in the professional environment, like in a consensual, like, yes, I want to do that kind of way. Right. And so how do we eliminate sexual harassment? without getting in the way of like natural organic relationships that are, that are going to form and that people want. And then just going down that road that I ended up also writing about that there's two sides of this story, right? So there's an education on both sides. You know, men need to understand where their boundaries are and women need to understand how to communicate their boundaries so that, you know, you can be more explicit about what you're interested in either talking about, joking about, and so a lot more needs to happen than just writing policy and defining what is sexual harassment. It was okay, but then how do I navigate this environment? And then I also talked a bit about, you know, some of the, the male identity crisis that's going on. It's like, well, if I'm not the breadwinner and I don't can't lift boxes for you, like what's my role here in society? And then, you know, also talking about the chemistry of sex and how you can actually leverage sex to get yourself into a flow state and be more productive and then you can help your business and just be like it's it's a state of mind that you can get in it's called flow it's an altered state that you can sort of induce sometimes like it's like runner's high you can get it through you know you can get it through sex you can get it through doing sort of like mountain climb like doing kind of dangerous things like you get into this it's a literal brain state change that can make you more productive a more creative, more genius-like kind of thing. And sex is one of those triggers. So, Of course, I never feel too terribly intelligent when I'm having sex. But anyway, um, so as I understand, you're in the midst of your second book. What's that going to be about? Well, the working title is The First Time. And while I was taking my master's in sociology, I decided uh, to also start doing some qualitative research on our early and first time sexual experiences and how those um, sort of affect different things like decisions and partner choice and preferences and career choices and like over the life course. So I interviewed about 40 people and got a bunch of different stories and, and experiences to illustrate a few things. You know, number one is that um, everybody sort of has a, their own unique experience. There is no ideal first time experience um and it runs the runs the gamut you know for people who think oh god mine was kind of weird or whatever you're like no it, it probably wasn't as weird as you think it was there are others there are others you're not alone um but then also that they matter 
they can be formative experiences. And I'm not, I'm not making a testament to abstinence or not. It's just that these experiences, they matter. Well, it's all what's right for you, right? Yeah. It, again, I'm not promoting like, oh, you should go and try to have the best sexual experience, you know, that you can. I mean, of course, you could say that about anything that you should go and try to have the best experience you can across the board and all things, but that's just not the reality. But oh, only that sometimes it can affect choices and decisions and experiences, you know, throughout your life in ways that maybe you didn't expect. Yeah, the first time is rarely going to be, quote unquote, perfect. Re far from it. And it is quite so. Yeah, there's some interesting things coming through out of the research and I won't I won't give it all away um, just yet. But yeah, I'm about half done. So I, I hope to have something out by the end of the year, actually. Okay. So you've published articles in Kiss and Tell magazine. I got to check that one out. Sexual Health and ASN, who I know well. In fact, they did a feature and a cover on you. Uh, tell us a little more about that experience. Adorable. Yeah, I, I love the folks uh, Folks there. They're really supportive. Michael of the community. is a prince. I love yes, the guys. Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, I just wrote a few articles and, you know, we got to know each other. And yeah, he just said, hey, do, do you want to do this? I'm like, okay. I mean, that also meant writing quite a bit about my my personal experience and sort of disclosing the stories and all that. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, I think I, I think I can do that. So I, I was very honored um, to do that. And yeah, it was a real it was a real pleasure. And I actually I printed my own version of it because it's a digital magazine, right? You can't buy it on shelves. But I printed one for real just to have. That's nice. How have your own sexual experiences influenced what you do? I mean, it's hard to hard to say they haven't. Um, I've had such a variety. I've had a very enriched experience, I guess you could say, mostly positive for the most part. I mean, I, you know, knock on wood, I haven't, I haven't had any, you know, really bad experiences. I, I, so I guess I, I'm lucky there. But they were kind of all over the place, right? So different people at different times doing different things and different configurations. Some things long, some things short. And I don't know. I, like I said, it, you know, I, I was sort of, the spark was interesting at a young age. You know, I, I started having sex early, like I was very, quite young. I, I was going to say, if you were looking at uh, magazines at six years old, I was going to kind of guess that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I discovered my own orgasm at 10. I was having sex by 13. You know, I didn't do a lot of like, I can't say I, I was overly promiscuous. I was just curious. And, you know, over a lifetime, when you look back, I mean, I'm, I'm 48 now. So I've had time to have different types of relationships and, and experiment. But I, I think through all of that, what it's really done is it's just made me comfortable. I'm super open and very liberal. So I'm, you know, not judgmental and I'm really okay talking about all this stuff. I always have been. And so I'm that person that people just talk to about it. And I've, I've always been like that. I can't say that I ever had any desire to be a sex therapist per se. I'm not so sure that I have solutions for people. But I, I definitely have an openness that seems to really resonate with people. 
And, and I just think when it boils down to things, everything really comes down to love and sex, like as a species, if you think about our, our role as a species is to reproduce and we are biologically programmed to do certain things. There is a biological imperative with, with people like to hear that or not, you know, you have certain things that's going on in your body, like going to the bathroom and eating that you don't have a choice in the matter. These are survival things. Your body will do them whether you want them to or not, or you die. And so everything, it's my opinion that everything else comes from that. You know, our, our, our thirst for power, our thirst for money, for, for achievement, for legacy, all of these things are really tied directly to species survival, which is staying alive and propagating. Yeah, absolutely. So is society ready? the topics you write about? Ah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think what I'm saying is so new. It's just that I, I put it together in new ways. Like the, the first book is really, it's tying together a lot of concepts that don't usually get talked about together. And the way that sort of academia operates and even like your average book, they're really like one idea, one book, one thought, one book. The types of things that I do is I'm, I'm, I'm more of a systems thinker. So I'm trying to connect dots where I'm trying to connect multiple ideas together so that people can get a more full picture. And maybe that's because like my level of analysis is like as a sociologist, I like to look at society and how that operates. And so looking at one individual thing, I mean, sex is so multifaceted. You sort of have to look at it from a global and like from a macro point of view, like abortion isn't just about abortion, right? Abortion falls within all sex. Abortion is as important as porn, as condoms, as pregnancy, as pleasure, like these things all go together. All the pieces together need to get looked at. So I, I think maybe maybe that's something that that I do a bit differently, like people pulling together sex and business together. People have been trying to like, no, 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 we need to separate that. <laughs> No, 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 not together. I'm like, no, no, no. You have to look at them together. If you ignore that, this is why we have the sexual harassment going on because you're trying to tear apart two things that are go together. Yeah. Do you, do you watch porn? And if you do, what's your preference? Well, in my twenties, when I was younger and maybe it was like the partner I was with, it felt uncomfortable because I was insecure with myself. Now, I would say I watch it very often. Every now and again, I might, I might look at something, but it's more just like curiosity to see like, oh, what's going on in that world? Like what's out there just to like take a look so much that rather than actually like watching it for, for any kind of like necessity or pleasure. Of, of course, it's very like, it's hard not to look at imagery and not to have some kind of biological reaction to it. Yeah, so it's I'm more of a dabbler. I wouldn't say I, I'm looking for curious things. What's got me curious these days, though, is the squirting. I'm like, wow, what? How? I mean, I think some of it is not its stage, but I don't know well enough to know the difference. But I am fascinated by the concept of it all. I'm like, huh? If that's like really going on, I'm like, you know, wow, that's uh, it's interesting. So I, yeah, I, I look at it from that point of view. I'm like. I, I'm just looking at it from like a, oh, that's interesting point of view. 
So you're the co-chair of the Academic Congress on Love and Sex with Robots. Now, maybe you can share with the audience what that involves. Yes. So it started from Dr. David Levy. Uh, when he was taking his PhD, he was writing about he has a computer science background and he was writing with a prediction that, I mean, you could see. So he published the book in 2007. We we're already well in our way towards this technology revolution that we've been undergoing the last 30 years. He's seeing a trend. It's like, OK, I think that, you know, we're going to start to have relationships with robots. Although his original prediction of when that would be sort of a ubiquitous thing is probably a bit off, he's not altogether crazy. Maybe if you would have asked me last year, but this year, now with the whole chat GPT AI thing yeah, that's driving yeah. people crazy, and even on some regular podcasts, I'm noticing that people are now starting to sort of talk about it because it is, you know, kind of seeping into into the mainstream news a little bit here and there and sort of raising a bit of eyebrows. But, um, you know, the, the conference was started because also within academia, researching sex and sex tech specifically has started to proliferate, right? So more and more people and universities are now having researchers studying all different types of sex. Like I said before, it's not now, it used to be just about teenage pregnancy and AIDS and diseases and things like that and pregnancy. And now, you know, they're starting to look at everything from porn studies to sex work, pleasure, sex toys and sex robots. So they are legitimately people studying topic right. from a, a broad perspective. You know, some people are talking about researching the positive impacts, current and future, and then the negative the potential impacts and the implications and and all this. And so they started the conference. This year we're coming up to our, our eighth iteration. Um, it's my fourth. Yes. Academics need somewhere to present. And you know, back then there just wasn't a place for those academics to present their research. And even some of the sexuality conferences were a bit, you know, not sure if that's like appropriate because it's mostly about psychology and sex therapy and things of that nature. And so over the years, it's, you know, it started out very small and each year we, we grow a little bit larger and a little bit larger. And of course now the, the amount of manufacturers, I mean, it's not exploding, but year over year, there's a little bit more and a little bit more. You're getting into now VR, porn, um, and, and different types of things like that. And, and so the different, like they're getting a lot more clever. And as you know, from my first article in ASN about sort of the history of sex and technology and how the sex industry has been at the forefront of pushing new technologies forward. Um, and so the world can really should thank the sex industry, the adult industry for the tech, where technology is at uh, these days. And, and we keep doing it. Absolutely. So the whole idea of sex robots is pretty revolutionary and obviously controversial. Where do you see all of this going? I mean, you could see where now you have like robot pets 
there's robot manufacturing. There will be robot companions. There currently is robots in hospitals. There's robot servers in some restaurants. And, and so we are moving towards that. And so soon there will be less of a distinction between a robot companion, maybe one that is sitting with a senior citizen. So they have someone to talk to and someone to, to sort of monitor them in case anything bad happens. You know, they can alert police, whatever. But it will be inevitable to start to have a relationship with this when the AI is sophisticated enough to have a pretty decent conversation. You're going to get attached in the same way that you can get attached to pets, even though they don't speak, you know, English or French back to you. You still, you know, learn the cues and and you get attached to them. And I would also argue that quite a few people in the West are quite attached to their phones. Feels like an appendage some days. And a lot of medical device and technologies are getting more sophisticated. You know, you're going to have certain parts in your body and your that are digital or mechanical. So like we're my left hip. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so you think about all these things that it seems it doesn't seem that far fetched. Because really, if you think about robotics, what is robotics? Right. So a lot of dildos these days vibrate and move. Um, so, you know, the mechanics may not be humanoid, but they are definitely robotic. And so we are already having sex with robots in such a way. It's not that far-fetched. It's just that by nature, we anthropomorphize things and we will do the same. We are doing the same with with these uh, robot companions. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got a mini version of it when you talk about teledildonics. So the idea of that being attached to something that looks like a human is not at all far-fetched. We've also been, you know, sex dolls have been around for quite a while. It is a natural evolution, even though it does kind of scare people. Um, You know, there's there's some legitimate concerns, although... Let's talk about that because I think people are fearful i am a bit that a sex robot could potentially turn against you well in that case then any robot can turn against uh, you of course. the fact that you would have sex with it is really not the factor and if i could make an argument against that it's more likely that if you're going to have a sex robot and it has the ability to turn on you then it also has the ability to be turned on and if it's self-preservation itself would realize that sex is a good thing. Let's face it. It's a lot more likely that your wife's going to slit your throat than your robot. Right. Or, you know, I mean, it is women are more often uh, homicides from your husband than you are from a stranger. Oh, I know that. So it's, you know, those stats are, are there too. The thing that some people are concerned about I mean, I could talk all day about why I think that there's not much concern for for people to be afraid of AI and robots. We have the capability to program these things in such a way, whether we do or we don't, but we do have the capability. So if something does go wrong, it's really not the robot's fault. It's ours. Oh, well, of course, it's never the robot's fault. But I mean, can they be hacked? Of course. So can your phone. So can so can everything else. Right. Yeah, but your phone's not going to kill you. <laughs> No, but I don't, I, I don't think a sex robot is, it's not going to kill you either. If it is designed for sex specifically, 
programmed. It's all how it's programmed. No, I get it. Yeah, I get yeah. it. I get it. But I mean, people have these images like you've got this thing here and it could turn against you. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I'm not a dystopian type of thinker. <laughs> but the people who are legitimately researching this, you know, some are concerned sort of where technology is going into the sex robot is an extreme example of that. Meaning if, if people are afraid that if, if the sex robot is sufficient or better than a human person, we already see the, the impacts of too much reliance on technology for relationships, which actually don't form real relationships, right? With you, we do require the human interaction and, you know, social media and our, our addictions to our, our technologies and our phones is demonstrating that it's actually causing people problems, right? And so people are thinking, well, if someone has a sex robot or a sex a robot companion instead of a real one, what kind of, you know, effects will that have on humanity from, from a relationship satisfaction or happiness point of view and, and things of that nature. But again, I say that to me, that counts for all technologies, not just sex robots in particular. Sex robot is just an extreme example of that. But at the same time, you know, there are people forget that not everybody say has the same social capacity to be able to just go out there and meet people for real. Yeah. Even online. Yeah, I get it. It's just, and so are they not allowed to have some form of sexual satisfaction? Yeah. I mean, right now it's pretty much sex dolls. Yeah. And wouldn't it be nice if they at least had someone to talk to? You know, there are also people who just are not able-bodied, who really just can't get out there and do the same things that, that everybody else does. Bobby, I'm married. Sometimes I'd love to have somebody to talk to. <laughs> but I digress. So do you have any strong opinions on where sex tech is going? I mean, it's, I guess I do. I mean, I, I see it going in a, in a positive direction. I see the industry. I mean, it's still in an infancy, but it is, it's growing. This is a positive thing. I think there's money to be made, all of that. At the same time, you know, there's certain, like any tech industry, you know, there's certain things right now that were a bit flooded the market. Like, oh my God, there's so many places to buy toys. Like it's insane. Yeah. I don't know how anybody makes money except for the big companies, to be honest with you. I mean, but that's kind of how a lot of the technology goes, right? The, the first there's the new people. And so it's, it's very new and then it gets widely adopted. And then there's a proliferation of companies. And then. Yeah. Well, look at the OnlyFans type of companies. There's a new one popping up every day, literally. Yep. Yeah. But then there will be a retraction, right? Because a couple of the big players will end up gobbling up the smaller ones. And then it, so it's sort of like this flux of fattening up the industry and then it gets lean again. You know, these these trends are they're noticeable in technology. I mean, right now there's if you if you are in in tech right now, I mean, B2B SaaS, there's so many companies doing B2B SaaS, you know, workplace tools and none and none. It's like, oh, my God, there's just hundreds of them. But soon they'll all get either other the you know, the ones that are mediocre will fail. The rest will get bought up. Even take a look at like restaurants, right? So there used to be only one-off restaurants and then there became chains and the chains became too, too big. And then, then we went, you know, a retraction back to sort of gourmet places. And so there's always this expansion retraction thing that happens in circle of life. Yep. 
Yeah, that's it. So we're in an expansion mode right now um, in the industry. There will be a retraction and then new things will come onto the market and all that. Um, but with, like I was saying earlier, with this, I feel like we're in a new sexual revolution. And so there's a lot of opportunity um, here to be had, and especially for women. And the more women that are in sex tech, then the more ethical from the female perspective um, comes into play, which is also good for the industry. I can't agree more because women tend to be a lot more ethical. So I was raised by a woman. I know this. Sex tech companies seem to be struggling to get venture funding. Now, with your experience as a venture associate for a tech incubator, what do you see as the challenges there? I mean, the challenges, I mean, it is still kind of taboo. The, you know, vice industry, as, as they you know, call it, there's a few, quite a bit of no-go. And it, it also happens to be that the majority of, of VC funds are in the United States and the United States is quite polarized on these issues. But one of the biggest problems, in my opinion, is there's not enough market data and VCs need market data to make decisions about. So they can't really do due diligence into the viability of the companies because there's not enough market data to, to rely on. I'm hoping in the near future to, you know, contribute to solving that problem. But I, I think that, that that's where it comes from. And I, I also think that, you know, if you see the, the trend in the last five years of VCs becoming, realizing they need to be more diverse in not only the companies that they fund, but themselves, you know, you need to start hiring people. Uh, there's a lot, not enough, but there's more now than there were institutional VCs that are focused on diversity, you know, you have to have a, at least one female founder or one from, you know, a diverse background, something like that, that it will help inch it forward as well. Um, and so you get, you get more of that. The femtech industry is getting more attention now. And I think femtech is sort of, is the gateway to the sex tech because there's a lot of crossover there. If we're talking about menopause, you know, reproduction, and so that was a bit safer, uh, quote unquote, for VCs, because it's really like strictly medical for the most part. And it's 50 percent of the population. Hello. Yes. And so, you know, solving a lot of female problems. And then when when that starts to get enough traction and we sort of age out. You know, a lot of the managing partners of funds right now, you know, they're all white guys. And, you know, not that I don't love my white guys. I do. I love my guys. But, you know, there's a, a thinking that I think will change as as the new generations come up. So with a little bit of time and some market data, I think that and, and a couple, you know, brave souls like we have Amboy Ventures, Vice Ventures. So there's a small but that, I mean, that's not enough to support a whole industry. Right. So agreed. What are your thoughts on the acquisition of MindGeek? from ethical capital partners yeah they got (laughs) (laughs) i I love that i love the term but anyway go ahead yeah the the irony is not lost uh there so i mean it's yet to be seen right so you know pornhub in a way has helped the industry in that it has demonstrated just the sheer amount of ubiquity like the data you cannot deny the data now 
you know, it's no longer, you know, this small group of guys alone in their basement masturbating to porn. Like the, the, that, that, that notion, the data is there. And if you add all the other tube sites this company owns and all the other pay sites this company owns, not to mention XNXX and everything they own, that is like a majority of the traffic on the Internet. Yes, yes. Yes. And so what does that tell us? That tells us that a lot of people, women too, right? So because they can tell, they can tell. And and the, the creators, there's so many more creators now. And these creators aren't the typical, you know, back from the 80s, you know, blonde, blue-eyed, big boobs. These are just like everyday people getting online and making money from having sex and stuff. And, you know, of course, there is still some bad actors out there. But for the most part, there's a lot of just everyday people on there just just doing it. Not to mention OnlyFans, which is a phenomenon. Yeah. So the, the, at, the, at this point in time, it, it's very hard to deny the numbers. Now, the, of course, there are just a certain group of people that no matter what you do, they're just not going to get into it. But that's okay. Over time, that, that group is getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, if you say so. Stupidity takes a long time to clear. Hey, what do you think about all the female-oriented porn? That really seems to be growing. Yeah, love it. Love it. This is a huge help to the industry. We have like the Erica Lesses of the world, you know, making ethical female-led, female gaze porn. It's great. The uh, the site Shush is just is just amazing too. Yep. Hard to pronounce yep. it because it's a lot of S's and H's, it's, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. I like the way you said it better. Yeah, yeah. There's a few more. I just I can't remember them off the top of my head. I saw Angie Roundtree at Miami. I know her husband Colin very well too. So yeah, it's it's going to help legitimize that that side of thing because I think people can get behind the whole sex toys and and stuff like that. It's it's the porn and the the objectification of women. And there's a whole group of people that think that everything to do with sex is like automatically connected to you, human trafficking. But if you look at it, you could take any industry and show the dark side. Well, there, of course, there's a dark side. There's the Ron Jeremy's of the world. I had Leanne Young on my podcast for my 150th episode. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she was flown out from the UK to LA to testify to the grand jury about uh, Ron Jeremy raping her allegedly. So, look, the Me Too movement has come to adult too, and it's it hasn't. It's a, it's a long time coming. Yeah, yeah, and and rightly so, right? So because I think most of us in the industry want to clean that up. I mean, Bobby, Bobby, here's the thing, okay. There's two sides of the industry. There's the legitimate side and there's the dark side. The people I deal with, the people I know are in the legitimate side. Okay. The other people I don't pay any mind to. Yeah. I mean, they got to be brought to light in some way or another, but giving people options, right? So now people have options. Oh, I don't have to use that site. I can use this one and feel good about it. And so that's the idea. Of, of, you know, having people legitimize the industry, keeping some ethical standards going on, you know, really, really open, women-led, you know, all of that stuff. Um, so that, that's a huge help, I think. 
And in the end, we'll find out if ethical capital partners is really ethical. So I understand you've taken on a new role. Maybe you can tell me a little bit more about it. I can't tell you too much. Oh, come on. No, I really can't. I'm under NDA. But what I can tell you is that we're going to be starting an international sexual health and wellness research institute. I mean, the, the full mandate is not ironed out yet, but the biggest thing here is to connect business and corporations with the research community because there's a lot of great stuff going on in academia, but like in all under industries, what goes in academia tends to stay in academia and, uh, you know, it's all behind a paywall. And if you don't actually subscribe to academic journals, then people just don't ever hear about what's going on there. And so we want to really bridge that and lean on the academic research to make uh, more informed, uh, data-driven decisions from, you know, the in the industry um, itself and, you know, just bringing forth research to the public domain. Um, so that people, you know, we will, it's a, it's a exercise in knowledge translation of taking a research paper, which, you know, when, if your average person would read it, be like, I don't know what these people are saying to me, translating that in a way that can resonate. What you mean, you're going to write it in real English. In terms that is digestible in small bits, you know what I mean? Um, and in turn, you know, that will help academia and it helps industry, helps the general public. Um, so, so that's the mandate. I'm super excited to be the director of this uh, To Be Institute. And yes. Exactly. That was going to be the next thing I was going to say. Bobby, I'd like to thank you for being our guest today on Adult Side Broker Talk. And when you've got that thing up and running, let's do it again. Sounds great. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you. My broker tip today is part two of what to do to make your site more valuable for when you decide to sell it later. Last week, we talked about converting traffic and improving user experience. Make a good offer. If you're selling something and the offer isn't good, you won't make money. It's plain and simple as that. And if your offer is to contact you or to get more information, then make the offer attractive and easy to understand. If you're selling something, make buying easy. Show them an easy way to buy and then leave. Help them by making suggestions on what to buy. Amazon.com is the best at this. They always have suggestions on what to buy based on your buying and browsing history. They use AI to do this. There are AI engines available these days at a modest cost. Look into this if you can. Don't clutter up your site with unnecessary items, buttons, and images. Keep it as simple as possible. The best and most successful sites are the simple ones, the ones that lead you to take the action you'd like them to take. It's not that hard. Just remember, when you're putting together any site, try to think through the buying process like a human being. Whatever you do, don't turn over that process to your designer. Don't just say, build me a website. What you'll get out the other end will not give you what it is you're looking for. Give them as much direction as possible and make it easy for them to build a site for you that makes your business succeed. We'll talk about this subject more next week. And next week we'll be speaking with Oscar Gracie of FanTube Media. Adult Site Broker Talk has been brought to you by Webmaster Access, September 12th through the 15th. The show will be in beautiful Cyprus 
at the stunning Grand Resort on the beach. Go to the events page on our website at adultsitebroker.com for a 25% discount for Adult Site Broker Talk listeners. To register, go to webmasteraccess.com. And that's it for this week's Adult Site Broker Talk. I'd once again like to thank my guest, Bobby Bidochka. Talk to you again next week on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman. 